All right, everybody, good to see you. Second Timothy, if you have a Bible, um, or if you just want to look at the screen, Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3. Um, let me read this for you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this, but as for you, continue what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we are in a series called Metamorphic, and what we are doing is we are looking at Scripture um, in some new ways, hopefully, for some of you. Um, and hopefully, for some of you, it's a reinforcement of, of what you've come to know of what Scripture is and what it isn't. The first week, we talked about why, why the Bible and we kind of walked through the argument that Jesus was so in love with Scripture, and if we're to be followers of Jesus, that that's actually our path too. The next week we talked about what's it, uh, you know, what's it mean, and what's what's all this? Is it human? Is it divine? Is it a mix of both? Last week, if you missed last week. You missed something fun because um, Randy and, and a little bit of Dan, uh, they spent some time kind of walking us through some things that are really important for us. How do we read scripture? Like, how do we read it with, uh, sometimes we read it with our own biases, sometimes we read it with our own agendas. If you missed last week, it is super critical that you hit the website and listen to it. Uh, because we're all in danger of making meaning out of Scripture that's not there, okay? And that would actually uh, really kind of, that, that could ruin some things for you and for others in your life. Today, I want to talk a little bit about what is the Bible for? And I think it's really important that we understand what it's for, because when you, when, you, when you have a wrong version of what it's for, you can actually make a meaning out of who God is that is false. So, for instance, um, I think our generation, um, the, the world we live in right now, is really biblically illiterate. Like, we don't read it anymore. And, and sometimes when we read it, we'll read like a verse of the day or we'll listen to, we maybe get something sent to our phones. And we don't really read large chunks of Scripture anymore. We take one verse here and one verse there. And, and I said there's a danger of that a couple weeks ago. I said there's a danger of making the Bible some sort of a, an encyclopedia for life. And how that could be super dangerous, because then we just pick things out of context and, and we make them important. But I just want to spend some time asking the question, what is the Bible for? Like, does it really matter what it is? Does it really matter? Does it really make a difference in my life and in your life and in the world that we live in? And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time going through um, the scripture that we just read um, a little bit later. But I'm going, to, I'm going to basically propose to you that there's three things that are really important when it comes to answering the question of what is the Bible for. 
Because at the end of the day, we want to be a people, okay, that take it seriously and that wherever you are in your journey of faith, whether you're a skeptic and you're like, I don't know if I want to read this thing, or maybe you are, um, you've been uh, someone who's gone to church your whole life. My goal is, is that our, our goal is at the end of all of these conversations that, that the needle would move in your life a little bit more when it came to Scripture. That your desire to engage it, your desire to chew on it and make it uh, something that forms you in your life would, would go up. That's what we want. My goal is that you would fall in love with it all over again. And if you've never fallen in love with it, my goal is that that would happen. And so we're doing our best. Uh, but really, this is a Holy Spirit conversation in your life. So what is the Bible for? I would say the first thing that the Bible is for, we'll put it up on the screen here, is this. To know who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, I think this is really important because a lot of times what people do is they open the Bible and they think, all right, let's figure out my life. Like, I'm some sort of the protagonist in this story, and I, every allegory I see is about me. But really what the Bible is, the, the chief pro protagonist in the story is God. It's, it's about who God is. And, and it's, it, it has things in there that talk about, you know, how to have a great marriage. And it has things in there about maybe how to be successful at business or whatever. And it even has uh, stuff in here about how to go to heaven when you die. But, and all that stuff's great. But the ultimate point of the Bible is God revealing who he is to us. It's his self-disclosure statement. Eugene Peterson writes this, God and his ways are not what most of us think. Most of what we are told about God and his ways by our friends on the street or read about him in papers or view on television or think up on our own is simply wrong. Maybe not dead wrong, but wrong enough to mess up the way we live. And this book, the Bible, is precisely a revelation, a revealing of what we could never figure out on our own. So chances are that the bad idea, like the, like the bad thinking about who God is, isn't just out there in culture. It's also in here. Like, we just need to understand we all bring some bad thinking about who God is into our own lives. A.W. Tozer is kind of a 19th century uh, philosopher, uh, pro prophet, you know, kind of guy. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And what he means by this is, is we tend to become like what we think about when we think about God. That's what he says. And so what, think about this in your life, okay? Um, the ISIS terrorist who cuts off the head of an infidel has a version of God that plays out in his life. Does that make sense? 
Okay? The prosperity gospel preacher who gets out of the Humvee after having drinks with Kanye <laughs> has a version of God <laughs> that informs how he lives his life. I mean, I can go on and on. The Westboro Baptist church member who uses uh, just horrible slogans at, at, at military funerals has a version of God that they're living out. Is this beginning to make sense? The, the gay singer at the Grammys who thanks God for his one-night stand has a version of God that he's living out. The nun, the Catholic nun, who gives up everything she has to live in Calcutta has a version of God that she lives out. See where we're going with this? You're not insulated from your view of God. Your life is not insulated from your view of God. And so what we read about in the Bible, this is why the Bible is so essential, because out there and in here, there's so much bad thinking about who God is that needs to be kind of worked at and solved through Scripture. And we sort through all the myths and the inconceptions about who God is um, with Scripture and with each other. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's about who we are. So it's first about God, but then it also informs who we are a bit too. So uh, scripture says that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. That's what scripture says. And yet our culture wants us to continue to work towards uh, labeling ourselves and giving ourselves an identity. That's what our culture is. And you can hear it. Like if, if you listen close enough, you can hear tag identity labels. You're gay or you're straight. You're Republican, you're a Democrat. You're suburban, you're urban, you're country. You're a jock, you're a hipster, you're blue collar, you're academic. And these labels begin to stick to us like bumper stickers, right? Some of them we want, some of them we don't want, they just are. And the Bible is a way of saying, no, this is not who you are. This is not fundamentally who your identity is. That's what the Bible does to us and informs us of who we are. See, you and I are made in the image, which means you and I have value and we have worth and we have beauty and we have fundamental purpose right? But if you read scripture enough and you read it honestly, what you'll begin to see is that we're also bent out of shape. We're also corrupt and we're also guilty of sin. Okay. And, and all those things inform us, but at the end of the day, we're still deeply loved by our creator. And that's what scripture does to us. It, it informs us of who God is, who we are, and then it also does this really cool thing that's really hard. It shows us how to relate to each other. And these are the tough ones, right? See, a lot of times we look at the Bible and we think, um, oh, there's a moral lesson that we need to learn. What's the, what's the lesson that we need to take away from this? What's the, the moral chunk that we need to chew on? And a lot of scripture doesn't have a moral lesson. Yes, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, but not many, actually. 
there's, there's moral lessons. And what we do is we read into scripture and we're like, well, how could this be here? And let's just throw one out there. Like some of you come from uh, maybe more of a skeptical side of this view of the scriptures. Then you go, well, when I open up Genesis, um, there, there's like, um, there's a lot of sex in Genesis. <laughs> like, and it's kind of weird stuff. It's not like, it's like Maury Povich kind of stuff in Genesis. And you're like, and it doesn't really say it's wrong. There's like polygamy all over the place. And so people could read that. And if you want to read it literally, and if you want to read it like in a biblical encyclopedia, you might become a polygamous Mormon and go, oh man, that. It's in the Bible, <laughs> but nowhere, I mean, let's just talk about the stories of polygamy. Like, if you read them, there's all sorts of anger and jealousy and identity stuff going on. Like, it, the Bible never gives a positive example of it. Which, so God uses the narrative of these messed up groups of people to kind of show, like, this is not how you do this. So, for instance, um, Israel is made up of 12 tribes named after 12 sons, okay? But those 12 sons come from one father and four different mothers. And yet, somehow, God uses that, right? So, it's not a sign of God's blessing of polygamy. It's actually a sign that God uses it in spite of its messed upness. That's not even a word. But you're tracking. So it's, it's a story about how ordinary men and women relate to God. There's a guy, pretty famous guy, named Dallas Willard. And I'm going to have a few quotes today, so I hope that doesn't bother you. Because there's so many other people that have said this better than I could ever say it. He says this, The open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that, they, that only a very small percentage of their members study the Bible with even a degree of interest. Intelligence or joy that they bring to bear upon their favorite newspaper or magazine. So he says, in my opinion, based on considerable experience, this is primarily because they do not know and are not taught how to understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of how they experience life. So Dallas Willard is basically saying that we read these things. Um, we, like, for instance, Abraham, we read about Abraham and we think, ah, that was then, this is now. And what we fail to do is read Abraham in the context of when Abraham lived. And so that is a huge problem um, for us. But when we immerse ourselves in the story, we learn how to relate to God. Second thing that's really important about what the Bible is for is this. It's to tell the real, true story of human history through the lens of Israel. Now, this is really important because it is a sprawling, long, complex story. And most of the Old Testament is about Israel. 
in human history from the beginning of, you know, the beginning, and that's why we have the word Genesis as the name of the first book in scripture, but uh, today. So it's a story of Israel. It's not a story of civilization from China's perspective. It's not a story of civilization from, and please hear this, from America's perspective. It's the story of Israel. It's the story of human history through Israel. Think of this. Anybody watch the Band of Brothers? Two people. Okay, you, four people. You got work to do, people. It's phenomenal. So the Band of Brothers is a story. It's a small story about World War II, right? But it's like this little kind of group of people in World War II. It's not the overarching story of World War II. It's a small story. So much like Scripture, Scripture is the story of human history and human beings through the lens of Israel. And that's really important for us to understand. This is why this matters. All of us live by a story. Every single one of us lives by a narrative. There's a story that drives and shapes who you are. Okay? And, and who we are and, and where we come from and what is our meaning and our purpose. And there's stories out there. There's stories all over the place. In fact, and this is really important for you to understand, atheism, atheism tells a story. And so maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm kind of leaning towards atheism. Atheism also tells a story. It's not the, the Bible is not the only story um, that people uh, latch onto, but atheism tells a story. It tells a story. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an anti-story, but it's a story. It's a story that we evolved from animals. Um, that's who we are. And, and, and there's kind of this glorified accident that we're at the end of. And there's there's no real meaning in life unless you make your meaning. That's a story. It's a narrative. The Republican convention is a narrative. Okay? Globalism tells a story. Your, re your retirement plan tells a story. Your HOA tells a story. Anybody have an HOA? Those are the worst, right? Can't park here, can't do that, can't paint your house. Or you, you should paint your house. Some of you probably, yeah, should. Denver tells a story. Who are we? Who, who are Denver people? Well, we're mostly Californians. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and Oregonians. <laughs> um, it tells kind of a hedonistic uh, story. Denver's very hedonistic, which is basically um, eat, you know the story, eat, drink for tomorrow, right? We open another brewery. That's Denver. We're, we're super into food and breweries. <laughs> um, so scripture, what I'm telling, what I'm getting at is this. Scripture tells an alternative story to all the other stories. It tells an alternative story. It tells a subversive story to all the other stories. So if you want to change, someone once said this, if you want to change a society, you have to tell an alternative story. You have to change the narrative. That's what the Bible does. It's an alter alternative story to capitalism. 
although many people use the Bible capitalistically to fan that flame. It's an alternative story to capitalism. It's an alternative story to Buddhism, consumerism, individualism, nationalism, racism. It's an alternative story to sexual tolerance. It tells a subversive story. Sometimes we don't like that, though. We want it to tell the story that we want to be most aligned with. See the danger, though? It exposes all the weak points to all the stories that we're drawn to live by. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Mike Erie. And really quick, on the back of your program, I don't know if you have one. Some of you are like programless people. You're like, I don't want that. On the back of it, we've actually given you a few resources um, to check out. And there are some books written about scripture that we find really, really helpful. Okay, And so this is one of them. It's a guy named Mike Erie, and he writes a, uh, a book called Why the Bible Matters. And he says, the Bible reveals the world as it really is. It is not primarily a theological textbook, a body of laws and regulations, or a collection of nice moral stories. It is a story that presents a different way of seeing the world and our lives in it. Does that make sense? I mean, is that, is that something that maybe kind of makes you curious? And maybe you've lived these stories, the capitalist story, the consumer story, the, the, um, the nationalist story. You've lived these stories and you're like, it's not doing anything for me. I'm actually getting pretty spent by them. Now, when I say story, some of you are like, are you saying that the Bible is fiction? No, I'm not at all. I'm saying that the Bible offers a real, true story of the world and your place in it. There's a guy named Leslie Newbegin that was a missionary and a philosopher, and he went to India, and he spent some time with some people in India And one of his Hindu intellectual friends wrote this to him in a letter. He said, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. In any way, we have plenty of books of religion in in India. We don't need any more. He says, I find your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race, and therefore a unique interpretation of the human person, listen to this, as a responsible actor in history. This is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. Meaning, if you read the Quran, if you read the Book of Mormon, if you read the, the Bhagavad, the, I can't even say it, the Bhagavad Gita, it's, it's a, a Hindu uh, a book. If you read those, what you're going to find is some sort of a religious pathway. And this guy says there's nothing like this in the world. So why reading the Bible is an exercise Um, in imagination is really important. So when you read the Bible, read it as as imaginative. Step into, you step into a whole new world. 
you step into a world that, that is pretty amazing, where, where virgins give birth to Messiah. Where death does not have the last word. Where evil is actually real and at work and personified in the world. But where one day God will bring all things to rights. See, you begin to rethink reality from the ground up. And it's really important for me and you to hear this because... It's also an exercise in participation. You know, just like that quote says, responsible actors in history. See, you and I get to, we're invited to join into it and carry it forward. And a lot of times we don't really get this part. We think, well, I'm just going to go to church. (laughs) And that's really not what we're invited to do. Jesus didn't die for you to just show up at church. He died to invite you into this new creation, this new reshaping of humanity. And and we get to be a part of that, just even in our small little world. And most of the Bible does not tell us what to do and what not to do. Most of it just tells us stories. Like a woman who can't give birth. Juxtaposed with a woman who can't stop giving birth. And, and, and what do we do with these, these different pieces of this story? Because you and I know a really good story is a really good a story is something that you and I want to join in on, right? I mean, you really want to participate in it. Like, like Star Wars. Let me just throw Star Wars out again because you guys all love when I talk about Star Wars. Star Wars, like if that was real, come on. If that was real, would you not want to be a part of that? Like four of you? Like, come on. Lightsabers? Wookiees? Spaceships? Like, like who wouldn't want to be about like I remember the like the first you know the first movie and Luke's looking at the you know the two suns or moons or whatever they were. Like someone's gonna correct me. And um, he's looking at those, he's just like, I wanna be a part of that, you know? And because like, there's this like thing happening. That's what this is. This is a story that God invites us into. And most of the time we're just like, well, what does it say I can do? And what can't I do? And how should I? You know, (laughs) really? That's not what this is. It's an alternative story. It's an alternative narrative to all the other things that you and I get sucked into living by. And, And what it invites us is to live differently. To taste what the kingdom of God is like. N.T. Wright He's a Scottish theologian, and he's just brilliant in so many ways. And he, he looks at Scripture as a five-act play, and, and meaning, okay, it kind of goes like this. Act one is creation. Act two is the fall. Act three is Israel, which is most of the Old Testament. Um, Act four is Jesus, and act five is the church. And what he says is really, really important. He says, all we have is act five. All we have in act five really is two different things. Uh, We're in act five. That's us, the church. All we have is two different things. We have the opening scene, which is the book of Acts, and we have the end of the play, which is Revelation. Revelation. 
And you and I are invited to actually act, improvise the rest. We're actually invited onto the stage of this fifth act to actually live it out in our lives. That's what we are supposed to do. So just real quick recap, first two things. Scripture tells us who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Second thing it does is it tells the real true story of human history through the lens of Israel. The last thing, this is super important as we wrap this up. The Bible is to shape the people of God into the image of Jesus so that we can participate in the ongoing story of healing and renewal. See, the Bible is meant to shape you and I into a specific kind of person. One that's like Jesus. One that has a meal with anybody. One that lives alternatively to the surroundings politically and everything that's going on in life. One who heals and cares. So it turns out we open up the Bible not for information, but for formation. It forms us. It doesn't just inform us, it forms us. It shapes us. It changes us. It, we begin to look more like Jesus than an American or than a consumer. Does that make sense? A guy named Joel B. Green, he's a scholar, he says this. This is really important. Reading the scripture should be an exercise in our submission to God. We don't read simply for information, but also for formation. We read so the scripture will shape us to be more and more like Christ. Spiritual formation is not measured by how much we know about the Bible or how often we read the Bible, but by the way we follow Jesus. This is the bottom line. We can be familiar with much of the Bible and still not love or follow Jesus. See, you can know it really well. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You can know the Bible really, really well and still be a mean, arrogant, foolish jerk that hoards their money. <laughs> and you might know them. And that might be you. You know, the mean Christian phenomenon is pretty amazing these days. Um... See, you can be really Bible-believing, and you could, you could wag your fist and say, I'm Bible-believing. But the question is, are you Bible-living? Are you stepping into the narrative? Is it changing who you are? Is it forming you at all? See, in 2 Timothy, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And then it says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. Become a specific kind of person that joins God in what God is doing in the world. Forming us, changing us. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's, it's not good. It's not easy to look into the scripture as a mirror and go, where am I missing? You know? 
Meaning God is at work through scripture in your life, shaping a new, and in my life, shaping a new covenant community, like a new, a new community out of it. Men and women and children around his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what God is doing. That's what he's shaping. A new community who are choosing to join God in God's work. That's what that's all about. That's what we believe in when we named our church Restoration, like uh, the, the actual definition means to bring someone back or something back to its former owner, place, or condition. Like this is what we are created for. And so here's why this matters. Some of us, it's shaping you. It's, it, you have habits in your life that you're, they're in your life, whether it's a TV show or an hour at the gym or online shopping, that shapes you. Don't underestimate the spiritual power of habit. It shapes you, okay? Your community shapes you, the people you hang out with, the people you play Texas Hold'em with. I'm not saying don't hang out with them, but they are shaping you. Every person in this room forms people and is in and is formed by people. I mean, think of yourself. You're not a brick wall. You're more like a chain leak fence. Things get through to you, okay? And our culture shapes us. I mean, think about Denver. Denver is a culture-shaping machine. And some of you are like, yeah, the traffic sucks. I'm like, I'm not. I know it does. It's getting worse. But Denver is a culture-shaping machine. You step outside and you are shaped by our city. You are shaped by uh, the fact that we are the largest per capita uh, microbrewery city in the nation. Like, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a culture. That's a story. There's, uh, we are environmentally conscious. We're kind of a progressive city. We're anti-authority. We're laid back. We're outdoorsy. We're, we're morally uh, tolerant. We're sexually free. Or you could say addicted, depending on how you look at it. The reality is... That's Denver. It's a very hedonistic place. The city forms us. It's it's a formation machine on us. And scriptures are counter-formation. And and, and scriptures are one way that we consciously choose to be formed, counter-formed by scripture. Dallas Willard, and this is my last kind of bit here, he says this, we come to the scriptures as part of our conscious strategy to cooperate with God for the full redemption of our life. See, your life and my life, it has an inertia to it. It just does. It just gets going. And if you don't have a conscious strategy to counterform all the other narratives that are in your life, okay, you will wake up one day 10 years from now and go, oh, How did that happen? Right? How did that happen? See, if 10 years from now you want to live and love and hope and work and spend and give and care and confront like Jesus, then scripture is pretty important. And it has to have more of an influence and a priority in your life. And so... Here's a goal for our church. This is something that our teaching team, by the way, our teaching team, I don't know if you guys, 
enjoy our teaching team as much as I do, but it's super great to hear from like Randy and Dan and Gabe and just, I mean, it's just, anyhow, go tell them that you love them. Um, but our goal through this whole thing is that we would be a church that wraps our head around the larger story, that takes it seriously, that gets formed by the scriptures. And one of the ways we're going to do that, cue the slide, Mary. This is, um, this is what we're going to be doing all throughout our church, starting in mid-September. It's actually an eight-week Bible reading plan where you and I get to read huge chunks. And this is all the New Testament. So we're going to read the New Testament in eight weeks. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Some of you are like, but I'm not a reader. I know. Here's the great part. It comes in an audio version. So if, if you have ears, you could try that. Um, and and it's just huge chunks of scripture. And it's in an easier to read um, format called the New Living Translation. And, and we're going to just talk about things in our groups and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're going to have, they're all going to be here next week. You can actually buy it online and then we'll have a copy for you next week ready to go um, through our website. So I just wanted to let you know about that. And there's challenges we face to this as I wrap this up. Most of us don't really read anymore. 78% of people, there's a study that says that once you finish formal education, 78% of the population doesn't finish a book again in their life. <laughs> You're like, but I read a lot. You read Twitter. You read Instagram. Like, you made it to the end of the Instagram post. I'm so proud of you. Like, we don't read enough anymore. Um, and here's the thing, when we do read, we get stuck in this mindset of, of school, and we're like, oh, i got to read for information. There's going to be a test, and at the end of it, I'm going to be you know, tested on it, and I have to know all this stuff. No. Or we read for entertainment, and some of you are like, all I read is books that are going to be movies one day, because those are fun, right? Um, if, if you, anybody read Ready Player One? Because, oh, yeah, good. Anyhow, so throwing that out there, kind of a teenage deal if you're into the 80s. And anyhow, so what I'm telling you is we read for information, we read for entertainment, but we don't read for formation. And let me just tell you what scripture is. Let me just get really serious with you. When you open scripture, it's like a sacramental thing where heaven meets earth, where it comes together in such a way that if you've never experienced it, I, my prayer is, oh, my prayer is that you would experience it, that your life would just be laid bare before it, that you would experience God forming and shaping you in ways that you, have, you could never imagine. If you've never had that, I want you to go on a journey with us, okay? I really do. And I want you to experience what it's all about. Let me pray.